Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ. It's great to have you listening. It is your local community radio station. It belongs to us to uh, create the media that we want and need um, for the betterment of all us listeners rather than the advertisers who run most of the media out there um, and the profiteers that um, own them. Not this one. Um, my name's Andy, and I'll be hanging out with you for the next hour. We are broadcasting on Jagera and Turable Country, and um, today on the show, we are going to be talking about Julian Assange. It is a topic that we've covered a bit over the years, but um, it's certainly an injustice that has dragged on for a number of years now, and that affects one person who is still locked up in Belmarsh Maximum Security Prison in London, even though he um, currently is not serving any sentence for anything. He's just being held there while the US attempts to extradite him to their country to charge him with um, their laws, which he supposedly broke, even though he was not living in the US at the time. And so... It affects Julian, but affects all of us because ultimately um, it was an act. The US uh, persecution of Julian Assange was and is an act that is designed to scare people off telling truths that are uncomfortable for big empires. And in that way, it's a, um, a warning to all of all people who might be willing to uh, share with the public important truths. But it's also uh, a persecution of the public's right to know the truth you know it's a, a war on truth tellers but it's also a war on the truth just as a concept and so that's what um is at stake in the julian assange case and that's why um we've been returning to it over the years and trying to show solidarity with julian assange where we can and today on the show, we're going to continue to do that. I've got two interviews. One is with John Shipton, who is Julian Assange's father um, and also has been a very staunch advocate of his for uh, the time of his imprisonment and his various forms of being locked up in the Ecuadorian embassy um, before he was put into prison there. 
And we'll also speak to Kim Staten, who is the director of a brand new film. The film is called The Trust Fall, and it's a documentary about Julian Assange. And so I spoke to Kim about it. But by the end of this show, you will be um, up to speed on what's happening with Julian and the importance of supporting him. So just a brief kind of introduction before I go on. His next court date is February 20. It will be his final appeal against extradition to the US. The extradition has already been granted by um, the UK courts. And so this is Julian and his legal team appealing against it. And so that will be the, the final hearing. After that, there is one more kind of recourse they have, which will be to go to the European Court of Human Rights. When if you don't know who Julian Assange is, well, he started an organisation called WikiLeaks back a long, long time ago um, in around about 2008, 2009, I think it started. And they basically what it was was a platform where people could anonymously release information um, that they thought was in the public interest and then WikiLeaks would make it available. Uh, it was when... Encrypted technology was much less common than it is now, and so this was quite radical, a way to safely leak information without having your identity revealed. After a number of different leaks, they, a person, a US soldier called Chelsea Manning, released a vast amount of classified US information, some of which was diplomatic cables about how the US related to other countries that were quite revealing about empires and how they work in the world today and the other well it was a lot of information about the iraq war as well that included this famous footage of a u.s helicopter gunning down um journalists and then passers-by who stopped to try to help those journalists and so the u.s uh, took great offense to this the person who leaked it was later caught chelsea manning and then through chelsea uh, wikileaks um, have been persecuted and Julian Assange is being um, prosecuted for that and facing up to 175 years in prison if he is uh, found guilty in the US, which numerous uh, high-profile American politicians have already said they believe he's guilty. And so who knows whether he will have a fair trial there. And so that is why Julian has been resisting extradition for a long time. Even before there was a formal extradition request, um, Julian hid in the Ecuadorian embassy to avoid being arrested in the UK, um, believing that this extradition request was imminent, which it probably was. Uh, so that's why we are speaking up for him, supporting him, and we'll hear more through the course of the show. I did speak this morning to Julian's father, John Shipton, um, to get some uh, upset updates on the case and, I guess, insights into uh, the man and how he's doing. Let's have a listen to John. My name is John Shipton. Uh, I'm Julian Assange's father, um, and uh, we've been uh, on the trail uh, of Julian's uh, freedom for about... 11 years now but the last uh, since uh, he was put in uh, Belmarsh prison and the threat of extradition to the United States became at uh, uh, crisis point uh, we now have been working sort of flat out uh, since 2019 
Julian's next um, big date in this saga will be February 20 with his final um, appeal against extradition to the US. I guess, um, what's that looking like and how is his legal team feeling about it? You know, I don't know. Over the years, these interminable court cases, maybe 30 now, uh, I lost count at 23, um, the lawyers often speak optimistically i don't think they go into these things you know looking at their shoes they look at the horizon so you know i i take no notice whatsoever of the legal people or or lawyers that are engaged um i speak to lawyers who aren't engaged for some guidance through the minefield of laws if this is refused so julian's application presently is for a hearing that is to get permission to have an appeal hearing if they say no that means that julian must immediately appeal to the european court of human rights to prevent his extradition to the united states uh his lawyer uh, Jen Robinson made a statement the other day where she said clearly and firmly that the danger of Julian's suicide, if extradited to the United States, was very high. Now, this was a conclusion brought uh, to notice in the hearing. Uh, uh, three years ago by Professor Coleman who is a consulting psychiatrist equally brought to public notice by Nils Melzer the United Nations Rapporteur on Torture and Unusual Punishment who made the uh, cryptic observation that we are watching a slow motion murder Yeah, many of us are concerned for Julian's well-being, but you do have more contact with him than most of us. So uh, could you share with us how he's doing and how he's holding up in there? Uh, It's a question I don't like, you know. Um, I'm asked it thousands of times. You know, what am I going to say? You know, like, or how am I going to think about this? It's 14 years now of one form of incarceration or other in one medieval dungeon after the next until eventually landing in Belmarsh Maximum Security Prison. Uh, Nils Melzer, the the United Nations Rapporteur on Torture, with two specialist doctors who uh, diagnosed uh, in their report to the United Nations said that Julian was suffering the effects of psychological torture. That must be sufficient understanding for all of us that you don't fare well after 14 years of incessant smearing, calumnies, lies, court case after court case, suspension of due process, the collapse of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, all of your human rights disobeyed, and really, you know, a very, very difficult question for me to answer without 
feeling enraged, angry, and bordering on emotional violence. Emotional violence, what I mean by that is to start calling people names. What I mean by names is this. The Australian government, until the present government, was silent. That silence is acquiescence. Over a period of time, acquiescence becomes complicity. That is my government. Four of the five governments that have been in power, four of the five uh, prime ministers and foreign ministers have been complicit assisting the United States of America in the persecution of my son Julian Assange and the Australian citizen Julian Assange who is lauded all over the world for his capacity to courageously simply speak the truth. No falsifications, no fibs, no lies, but just the simple truth. And that truth brought to the public through American or United States documentation. What am I supposed to think? Now, it's certainly been quite a journey um, since the release in 2010 of those US diplomatic cables and uh, the collateral murder video. And yeah, it was a courageous act, but it certainly has had repercussions. How do you think Julian feels now about um, the release of that information and I guess um, the gains from it versus the costs? Well, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't ask that sort of question, you know. If you imagine that you're banged up for 14 years, and you add to that the contemplation as you're 22 hours a day in your cell, the contemplation of regrets, you double down on the torture. So you begin to torture yourself. So I leave that out. I always speak in a different plane or a different tone to that, to Julian. I, I just outline what we're doing and also some of the humorous ir ironies and uh, a bit of principally what we sp I mean, speak about is, you know, his sister and his children and his brother and what we're doing and mostly the the richness of interpersonal family gossip is what i speak of yes well there's been a couple of recent additions to the family uh, in the last few years your grandkids and and julian's kids um what's that been like for the family and how are they coping with it all uh, you know, they're, they, you know, creatures of joy. Um, and their mother uh, has an extended family and they're all very close to each other. So they're 
embraced in an atmosphere of care and love. So they're doing all right. They're curious, they they go to the jail to visit Julian. It has to be a Saturday because uh, this, the regulations upon school attendance in the United Kingdom are very strict. Uh, so they've that is normality to them. And Stella has also been a very powerful voice and um, staunch advocate for Julian. Has that been helpful for you after all these years of uh, struggling as a kind of close supporter of Julian? Oh, yes, yes. Stella's terrific. Um, and she has now a, a platform of her own and, and uh, become very effective speaker and supporter and defender of her husband uh, in in Europe and uh, the United Kingdom. Stella also is a fluent Spanish speaker, so uh, her voice carries into uh, Spain and South America as well. Now, today on the show, I'm also going to be speaking to Kim, who's directed The Trust Fall, a documentary about Julian that you are in. And there was also recently the film Ithaca, made by uh, your other son, um, Gabriel, about how the effect that it's had on your family. What do you think is the importance of these films and, I guess, other cultural representations of Julian? Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> as a... a very powerful politician in Germany once said to me, look, in Germany it's not, it didn't happen until it's in the newspapers. In the United States, Australia and New Zealand and Canada, it didn't happen until there's a documentary made about it. So, you know, under that small understanding of the phenomenon, of media, the films and cultural events of every sort, um, music, uh, concerts, uh, uh, forums and art gallery shows, they're all very important. You know, you can get an echoing pulse around the world from uh, really good, firm events which uh, celebrate the capacity of people to bring an injustice to an end. Now, we've spoken a bit about this, the fact that there's been recent changes in the Australian government and the way it relates to Julian Assange. I mean, we have a Prime Minister now who said that he has spoken to Joe Biden about Julian Assange and um, uh, requested that Assange be released, but also... um, Last year, there was a group of politicians from across all the party spectrum in Australian Parliament that went to the US and met with the Department of Justice to make representations on behalf of Julian Assange. Do you feel like um, the current government is doing as much as it can for Julian? Well, uh, you know, (laughs) success is doing as much as it can. So as long as it's not successful, it's not doing as much as it can. Okay? That's pretty clear. The other next is the parliamentary delegation drawn from all of the 
political spectrum in Australia was magnificent. And uh, now we have, uh, after the visit to Washington, communion between the Australian Parliament and the Congress of the United States on the matter of Julian Assange, which will spread to other areas as people within the Congress and people within Parliament have established relationships with each other. These are really important. The other thing is that it's a substantial model for other uh, concerns of the Australian electorate, for example, housing, to uh, or uh, jobs or free tertiary education or dental care or environmental degradation to join together with like-minded uh, politicians and uh, uh, let you see, social groups to join together and actively pursue these uh, these important policies that have fallen into disuse over the years of neoliberalism in the last 40 years. There's aspects that are umbrella concerns across the entire electorate and the Assange campaign is a demonstration or a, a model for which uh, activist groups can bond together to improve the circumstances. And what about for the rest of us who aren't politicians but who want to support Julian Assange? What do you think that um, the average person uh, can be doing in the next month or so uh, to show solidarity with Julian ahead of this court date? Well, three things. Talk to each other. Listen to alternative media like your thing. And then just get together with a couple of people in the same electorate and go and see your parliamentarians, not by yourself, but just three or two or four or five, and all go along and bring your concerns to the parliamentarian. That's what they're there for. They don't know our concerns unless we go and tell them. The newspapers have their own concerns, usually to, to sell more toothpaste or a car. But our concerns can be put into Parliament by going and telling your electoral member what your concerns are and say, you know, we reckon that this is a bit on the nose. The man's been banged up for 14 years. He hasn't been charged with anything. There's no charges. You know, it's medieval. Do something about it. And don't say, uh, well, you know, it's a matter of law. It's not a matter of law. The charges are political charges. It's extraterritorial. That means that it's not a matter of law, it's a matter of political application of another nation's laws to our citizen. There's plenty there that the parliamentarians uh, can sincerely address and expand the parliament's power and expand their support within the electorate. Pretty simple stuff. You know, that the 
politicians have to understand. So rather than the current procedure of money, buy media space and then get power, the best thing, the proper thing in my view, is to go to people and speak to them and, and find out what they want or the people go to the parliamentarian. Okay, thanks very much, John, for chatting with us today. Oh, thank you, Andy. You're very kind. We were listening to John Shipton, who is Julian Assange's father and has been a very um, prominent and very dedicated advocate for Julian um, for the last decade and a half that he's been uh, locked up in one way or another. Um, and let's listen now to Kim Staten, the director of the new film The Trust Fall. Uh, my name's Kim Staten. I'm the director and writer of the Trustful Julian Assange documentary, um, a filmmaker, poet and musician from northern New South Wales. And the Trustful, it is um, having its premiere screening in Brisbane this coming week. Um, I guess uh, to start off with, I mean, there's been a, a few films about Julian Assange. Why did you um, feel the need to make this one? Uh, yeah, that's that's right. There's been a, around a dozen documentaries made on the topic and um, some of them are really well done. Uh, but what my partner and I felt were missing was missing was a film that delves into the meaning of the situation rather than another documentary that talks about the what and the when, the, the sort of strict chronological sequence. This film is actually about what we can learn from it and what it all means and what it means for future generations. Well, without uh, too many spoilers or anything, do you want to share a bit about what you think it does mean? Uh, yeah, well, I think this situation is primarily a, a, a scare campaign. It's a, a way of intimidating the world, especially journalists and whistleblowers. They've turned Julian into a scapegoat, uh, through this well-orchestrated campaign of smear, slander, lawfare, which is basically a form of warfare through through the courts, and uh, and then all the confinement for 13 years, they've been um, keeping Julian Assange in various uh, conditions of of uh, imprisonment and and uh, reduced freedoms, and it's all to warn off uh, future would-be whistleblowers from revealing the crimes of the powerful. Well, in that case, I would guess, uh, yeah, it is a, a campaign of fear, but I assume for making a documentary that you managed to get a variety of people to talk about it. How did you go um, trying to seek out people who are willing to be interviewed or be a part of the film? Yeah, well, yeah, we, we set on the mission to try to interview some of the most articulate, well-known, uh, colourful characters, uh, advocates of Julian Assange uh, and, and his family members and members of the WikiLeaks uh, organisation. Um, it was quite slow going at the beginning. Um, our first interview was with John Shipton and um, I managed to get that through a, a contact that I had from uh, a film that we'd streamed on our platform 
the no extradition documentary so that helped to sort of get the wheels in motion and then uh, a second interview was with Tariq Ali who's a famous historian and author in in London uh, and once we had a few interviews down it started to get a little bit easier those people gave us a little bit of help getting in touch with others and I think also the in the Assange campaign the the advocates of the campaign tend to be uh, good friends or at least know of each other and uh, that way uh, that sort of helped uh, to sort of connect with other other interview subjects and eventually we were interviewing the the top people that we had on our list um, and it was just an incredible privilege to to interview the late uh, John Pilger who um, sadly passed away just around 10 days ago um, Daniel Ellsberg the legendary um, Pentagon Papers whistleblower who also passed away earlier last year um, and and many other um, very articulate advocates uh, it was an amazing experience I assume you've made other films before. Are, are they similar or is this a new uh, branching out for you as a filmmaker? Well, this is actually our first film. Uh, well, my, my first director role uh, and my lovely partner, Natalia Mignana, it's her first role as producer and we co-produced the film together and uh, we picked a nice, easy topic to, to work with. One uh, obstacle that you had as a filmmaker, I guess, is that the main subject of the film, you, you can't film, you can't take cameras into a prison. Um, how did that go? And uh, did you go in there? Did you have much many conversations with Julian um, and uh, plan out the film? Did he have any input or anything? Well, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, usually when you make a documentary, you can... Um communicate with and, and usually typically you can film the topic the, the subject of the film in this case we couldn't do that um, uh, Julian Assange has very little visitors it's uh, very restricted he's typically it's only his family and lawyers and occasionally uh, recently there's been a few journalists able to visit um, so I didn't make any requests to visit him um, partly because we're in Australia as well and when we started the film there was travel restrictions as well so there's been all kinds of challenges uh, but even if I could visit him I can't film him so um, what we did to get around that we've used um, animations to depict uh, some of the stories and experiences that the interview he interviewees have related uh, for example, Niels Melzer, the UN Special Repertoire, visited Julian and there's a very touching, sad moment from his book and uh, we, we had that animated. Um, and then there's a um, moment during the extradition trial where Julian was uh, kept in a, a glass room at the back of the court and we, we wanted to depict that, so we had that animated. So there's there's plenty of animations more than you would typically find in a documentary uh and uh, i've certainly been in touch with um his lawyers and his family to for them to have input into the film uh as well as our our main advisor on the film juan passarelli who's um made made an excellent documentary about 
about Assange as well and, and has some incredible archive footage and that's how we also have Julian have an appearance. Many appearances in the film is actually through a lot of archive footage that was um, supplied, licensed or, or donated to us. Mm. Um, as well as the, um, I guess, intellectuals and journalists that you talked about interviewing, um, you do have a couple of famous musicians that came to be a part of the film, I understand. Um, Roger Waters from Pink Floyd and MIA. Um, how did they come to be involved and what do you think is the importance of musicians in something like this? Well, uh, we, for the narration, we, we were looking for some well-known voices, some expressive voices, um, some people that had demonstrated their support for Assange publicly and so Roger Waters was um, one of the top of the list for potential narrators because he's so outspoken on the issue um, and we managed to get in touch with him and he, he just said yeah sure of course and, and same with MIA and Tom Morello uh, I wanted to have a, a mix of male and female voices um, and also different accents so we have Australian accent in there and uh, UK and American because these are the countries that are involved in this persecution um, so to sort of represent those accents was important um, and I think when you have narrators that are either musicians or actors they can be can have very expressive colourful voices and um, can be really good at bringing out a natural uh, feeling and expression in, from the narration. Um, yeah, I guess with music and with film as well, and in some way these things are kind of the entertainment industry, but they're so linked to the way our culture tells stories and, um, and the way we shape culture. What do you hope comes of, of making this film? We really want to just raise awareness all around the world uh, to educate people on this topic, bring them up to speed, help them to understand it. I think the big part of why this is going on, why Julian Assange is being scapegoated and is suffering is a lack of awareness of amongst the people. People find it hard to digest the, the topic and sort of really understand what it all means and so it is an educational film but it's also uh, a story of uh, it's tragic and shocking and uh, we want to open people's eyes to what, some of the crimes that have been revealed by WikiLeaks so uh, they can be informed and educated on that and I think we really have to be willing to look at what's really going on in the world if we're going to rectify it and have a better future for everybody. All right. Thanks very much, Kim. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That is Kim Staten there, a director of the new film, The Trust For You. And, of course, as we said at the beginning of that interview, there are many other documentaries about Julian Assange as well. Um, if you want to find out more as well as books and um, all kinds of articles online, everything, and a number of paradigm shift shows over the years, actually, 
Um, he does have his next court date coming up on February 20, and it's really getting down to the wire now. This is the final avenue of appeal against his extradition to the US. Um, they will presumably go to the European Court of Human Rights if it fails, but it is looking very likely that he may go to uh, the US and be tried for a number of crimes that have very uh, serious maximum penalties and um, as we've heard before his mental health already is not in a very good state as you would expect given the circumstances um, so there's plenty of opportunities for solidarity I, th- I think you can write to Julian I think it's quite difficult actually to get any contact to him but um, I think uh, certainly making sure that he's not forgotten and the work that he's done standing up for the truth is not forgotten is a, a big part of solidarity work and I guess spreading the ideas of truth and government transparency which is the whole reason why he's in there as well continuing that work for him and as John Shipton said you can talk to politicians I'm not always um, the big fan of talking to politicians most of the time um, myself because there's so many other avenues by which we can affect um, political change as ordinary people without having to go and um, play the the games of power that politicians are in. But in this case, uh, there's not much we can do for Julian Assange as average people, but Australian politicians talking to the US can quite possibly get him returned to this country and get those charges dropped. So plenty of work anyway um, to do solidarity with him and i will mention as well kieran o'reilly a brisbane um long time activist he's in the uk and he's doing a one-man solidarity effort he's drawing other people in with him uh in the uk he was at the u.s embassy yesterday um for the anniversary of guantanamo bay of the opening i think it was the the 22nd anniversary of the opening of guantanamo bay of course where the u.s tortured and held indefinitely prisoners of war, and just as they have tortured and held indefinitely Julian Assange in recent years. Um, and Kieran, he's off next to Buckingham Palace to do a vigil out there, trying to get the king to uh, pardon um, Julian Assange, which I think is within his capabilities, our royal monarch. Um, and it would be good if he did. And so good on you, Kieran. He's out there um, slogging it out in very rough conditions in the British winter. That is all we have time for on Paradigm Shift. See you next week.